This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. You're listening to the Church Boys Free Fall Q&A. Hi, it's Billy Hallowell here with the Church Boys, and I have author and speaker Nabil Karesi on the line. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. So um, I wanted to you know, chat with you. There are so many different things to talk about, and in fact, uh, it's been a while. I think your first book we had covered on the blaze and uh, was hoping to connect with you back then. I don't, I don't know if we did or not. I don't think we did, but we ended up covering the book and your fascinating story. And I think for those who don't know, um, the first question that I would have for you is just you know, your conversion, you know, from Islam to Christianity that happened as far as I know, about 10 years ago, right in your early twenties. That's correct. Take me through that process, what the catalyst was and you know, what was sort of that, final nail in the coffin that led you to convert? Yeah, well, it was uh, born out of the fact that I uh, was very, very confident in my Islamic faith, and I would challenge other people to accept Islam. Uh, I believed it was God's true religion. And it was when I was encountering someone, a Christian, who was well-versed in his faith and the reasons why he believed what he believed, that we ended up having long conversations, um, and over the course of a few years, I began to see that the case for Islam was actually far worse off than I thought, whereas the evidence for Christianity was very strong, and the theology behind it was very strong, too. Uh, so that's when I started praying, asking God to uh, guide me. Um, as a Muslim, we were accustomed to praying for dreams, and so I asked God to give me uh, dreams, and He did, uh, through three dreams. He confirmed what I had found. Um, and then ultimately led me to the scriptures, and it was while I was reading the Bible that I gave my life to Christ. Yeah, and I know that was one of the things that we had covered in the past, in fact, was um, the, the notion of dreams. There, you know, people will talk, you'll hear stories from, from the Middle East especially all the time about visions and dreams um, of Jesus. And so there have been a number of stories that we've done, and I remember that was something that really caught a lot of people's attention about your story um, and, and just having had that encounter with God. I for some reason, I think it's foreign to a lot of Christians, you know, in, in terms of thinking, oh, well, you know, I had this dream or I had this, this message from God. Um, how do people react to that story when you, I know you shared it in, in your first book, I believe, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. How do people react to that piece of the story? Yeah, that's a great question because it really says a lot about the tradition that the Christians are coming from. Uh, there are those who um, are just overjoyed that God is working within the Muslim world and that he's uh, drawing people out. Um, and there are those who are not used to this kind of uh, movement of the Holy Spirit, and uh, they they doubt that God would do such a thing, and they wonder whether it's uh, it's something that's biblical or not. Um, so uh, depending on the, the background, it can really have a lot to do with how people react to that story. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, though, because so many different Christian sects in America believe in a lot of different—I mean, you can, we could talk about the Charismatics, and so, you know, it's not that far off from many other, you know, traditions that Christians have. It just depends, again, like you were saying, what, what brand of Christianity are you in? What are you used to? I mean, gosh, growing up, I never heard anybody speak in tongues. I never went to a church that, you know, had that going on. Uh, but yet other people have grown up with it. It's common practice for them. And so it's it's just fascinating to me. I am I'm captivated by those stories because, I mean, you'll hear stories about people who have never heard much about Jesus outside of what they had encountered, you know, in the Islamic faith. And, you know, they'll have these visions and these encounters with him that I think are completely fascinating um, to read about. And, and your story was no exception to that. 
Yeah, usually, and, and that's a good point, usually when these uh, dreams occur, it's not in a void, it's not in a vacuum. Uh, it's either because someone has been ministering to uh, these Muslims, or a Muslim is then directed to a Christian uh, or to Scripture, which will then be explicated to the Muslim. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a part of a very uh, rich process, a tapestry that God is weaving in people's lives. Very good. So yeah, let's let's dive into your new book, Answering Jihad, A Better Way Forward. Um, the, the, one of the things that I think people debate about endlessly, and you know, so much of this becomes politicized too, and, and the, this word jihad. Um, and you could talk to 10 different people who will tell you all different things about what they, what they believe jihad is. Tell me, what is the definition of jihad? Well, it's one that evolved over time. Uh, initially, it was just the Arabic word for struggle. And so in the Quran, you can see, although primarily it envisions a violent struggle, there were times when the Quran refers to a nonviolent struggle with the word jihad, a spiritual internal struggle. But the vast majority of times the Quran uses the word, it refers to a violent struggle. And as you see it used in Muhammad's life, in the Hadith, the collections of traditions of stories from Muhammad's life, um, we see it becomes a term that encapsulates fighting to advance or promote uh, Islam, um, or even to defend, at times, Islam. Uh, that ultimately then, a hundred years after that, now we're talking about 300, 350 years after Muhammad, becomes codified into a doctrine, uh, the doctrine of jihad in Islam. Uh, and at that time, you start having rules of this is how jihad is to be waged, this is how a battle is going to be fought, and this is how it's going to end, etc. Um, and so that was the development of jihad over time. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because again, it becomes so political, and you and you'll have these billboard campaigns, these debates, the these discussions about about that word. I guess you know, the the next question that sort of flows off off of this, and I know that you've been asked this a million times, but I think I think it's important for us to continue to talk about: um, Is Islam a peaceful religion? Now, that's the key question everybody has, and and again, ten different people will give you ten different answers. Yeah, that's because there's so many different expressions of Islam. So it, we have to ask the question, what is Islam, before we can answer whether it's a religion of peace. Is it the practice of Muslims around the world today? Well, there's tons of Muslims who practice different things. Many of them are peaceful. In fact, I'd say the majority of Muslims are peaceful. But does that make Islam a peaceful religion? I think we have to do the work of teasing out the difference between Islam, which is an ideology, and Muslims, which are people following that ideology. Uh, so... When I think of the word Islam, I'm thinking of the historical core of the faith, the religion that Muhammad left, um, and before centuries of tradition were added to it. And if you're looking at Islam that way, then there's no question Islam is not a religion of peace. Muhammad used violence. Um, he had no qualms with violence to promote uh, the, the agenda of Islam. In fact, chapter 9 of the Quran calls Muslims to fight in order to pre uh, make Islam prevail. Chapter 9, verse 33 of the Quran says Islam is supposed to be superior to all other religions in the context of fighting non-Muslims. You know, and, and hearing, you, hearing you say this, I know it's complicated, too, and I know, obviously, when you convert, I would imagine it, it leaves a big impact on a family, and it, it divides a family, and it, and it divides family members. Um, having grown up as a Muslim, and, I mean, again, in your early 20s, making this transition out into Christianity, that's a big deal, and... I guess, how do you make sense now looking back? I know I know, faith is a continued journey. It's not like it just happens and then it ends, you've converted and that's it, you're a Christian, you don't grow anymore. But when you look back then, how do you sort of, um, I guess, interpret and sort of rationalize what you believe then versus now? And how do you, I mean, having the years now to sort of reflect, what do you think about those beliefs that you once held? 
Yeah, the thing is, most Muslims uh, are receiving their faith from their elders, from their leaders, from their from their relatives, and uh, that's how most of us receive our faith, from the people around us, and we often don't question it. The vast majority of the world never really questions their religious culture or heritage. Um, and so that's that's why I believed what I believed. It was when I began to question that I began to investigate. And as I investigated, I realized that the picture I inherited was only partial. I was told that Muhammad was a great man, that he was very merciful, that he was a good husband, a good general, a good statesman. And I had been given stories that backed that up, but those were only part of Muhammad's life as recorded in the traditions. And when you read everything, both the good and the bad, then you begin to understand why there are Muslims who believe peacefully, like I did, uh, and that's answering your question, but also those who who live violently, why they believe what they believe. You have to know the whole picture. Do you think there's a dynamic of that in every religion, like in Christianity too, of sort of people who are taught something and they don't really ever know it for themselves? Oh, absolutely. There's a lot of Christians who don't ever internalize the faith, don't ever make it their own. And that's why I think Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will be saved, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So there are many people who culturally will, will call Jesus Lord, but if they're not actually following the faith, uh, then they're not actually saved. What would you say, uh, beyond anything else, um, because I, you know, I've been in this Twitter debate back and forth, and it's sort of, I said something on Twitter, and it's almost like you wish you didn't say it after, and you have <laughs> kind of atheists coming at you over and over for like a week, a week and a half now. Um, and some things I'll respond to with a question, and you know, you try not to engage some of it too much because you want to have a good conversation, but... You know, there are moments in faith that convince you of your faith, that you know, okay, that was something that God did, that was something that came from God in my life. What for you, beyond anything else, beyond a shadow of a doubt, convinces you that Christianity is true and that Jesus is the Son of God? Well, the, that God is real is beyond doubt in my mind. Um, I've had encounters that have zero possible explanation except that God did something. And I'm not saying, oh, hey, the, the best explanation here is that God did it. No, I'm saying there's no other possible way to explain these things except that God did it. Um, and so I've had multiple encounters like that. Uh, so that's step number one. Step number two, who is God? Um, God says in the Old Testament that those who earnestly seek him will find him. Matthew chapter 7, 7 says the same thing. Ask your sheep, you shall receive, seek, and you shall find, knock, and the door shall be opened. And in fact, Islam has a similar message in Surah Al-Baqarah. It says that Allah hears those who love him. Uh, so... I, I figured if I, like, you know, all these major religions say, if you just seek God and truly, honestly follow Him, you will find Him. Um, and so that's what I did. Uh, so um, seeking Him in that way and then having Him reveal Himself to me through what I was expecting through dreams, there's a lot of confirmation for me there as well. But also the evidence is so solid, um, and the, the Christian message makes so much sense of the world, um, that this world, what it's really, what its problem really is, is brokenness. The Islamic message is that the problem of the world is ignorance, jahiliyyah, and uh, that's why sharia is a series of rules, how to live. It's answering the problem. You don't know how to live? Here you go. Here's how you live. In Christianity, the problem is brokenness, and the solution is uh, transformation from God. And I really do think the only thing that can help this world, that can heal it, is a heavenly response, uh, something that requires overwhelming change within our hearts. Uh, and so the Christian message, I think, accurately diagnoses the problem of the world as well, um, and the evidence that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, claimed to be God, is historically very sound. So a variety of angles that make me very confident in my Christian faith. 
Very good. Well, you know, one of the other things, and I want to get back to the radicalization, a couple questions about radicalization, but, um, you know, there's been this whole debate over the, is Jesus, is the God of the Bible and the Muslim God the same God? And as you know, you've got the Wheaton College professor who has departed now, um, was suspended and then was has departed. Um, and we have a lot of other debates. I mean, this is like the never-ending debate. When someone asks you that question, they say, is it the same God? What's your response to that? My primary response is stop arguing with people who disagree with you. <laughs> like, just because we disagree doesn't mean we, 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 uh, we have to get angry at other people or we have to force them to agree. This issue is more complicated than most people want it to be. Uh, so some people just want, to, just want to hear you say, no, 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 Muslims and Christians worship different gods, end of story. No, it is more complicated than that. I agree, they do worship different gods, but it's, uh, it's more complicated. Uh, so the answer that I try to ultimately focus on, there are so many aspects to this question, the answer I try to ultimately focus on is that Islam very intentionally rejects the Christian message of who God is. It hears it, and it intentionally rejects it. Um, com contrast that to something like Buddhism or Hinduism, where people incidentally believe other things. Um, no, Islam was post-Christian, and uh, it, it, it knows that there is such a thing as a trinity. It rejects the Christian message of a trinity. It rejects that Jesus is God. Uh, in fact, chapter 5, verse 72 says, if you believe Jesus is God, you're going to hell. It rejects that God is a father. Chapter 112 says that very specifically. And chapter 5, verse 18 of the Quran says to rebuke Christians who say that they are beloved children of God. So all these essential characteristics of the Christian God are not just incompatible with Islam. Islam directly opposes them. They're diametrically opposed. And, and that's what makes me say that Islam has constructed the image of a different God very intentionally. Yeah, it's just it's an interesting debate to me because I feel like nobody would really say that any of any of this is the same. I mean, the definitions are not the same. So on the surface, the answer is sort of to me, the answer is no, it's not the same God. But it is like you're saying, it is more complicated. Have that complicated discussion. But people get so I mean, it's insane how <clears throat> intense that argument gets. But well, anyway, that was that was a good answer. And then I wanted to ask you. Um, when we talk about is Islam a peaceful religion and we look at sort of all the political debates that are going on about refugees and, and all this, I guess one of the central questions is why are so many Muslims radicalized? Why, are, why is there so much of this going on around the world, not just in the Middle East? I mean, you've got what's going on in, in Africa and you have events that happen, you know, here and there in the U.S. Why? I think that there is an answer to this. And I think you're absolutely right. Radicalization is on the increase and I don't think it will stop. And the reason why is because for hundreds of years you had uh, Muslims following versions of Islam that were building in tradition, century upon century upon century of tradition. And it was removing Muslims from the Quran and the Hadith. All that tradition was being inserted between the average Muslim and his canonical texts. Since the 1900s, um, people have had more and more access to the texts themselves. Muslims printed their own um, standard Quran starting in uh, 1924, I believe it is. And since then, Muslims can read the Quran for themselves on a, quite a common basis. It started getting translated more and more. So people are reading the texts, and they're seeing for themselves what the Quran says. People can go online, and they can read the life of Muhammad without having to travel to an Islamic library. They just go online and, and read what Muhammad says and does. And once you start doing that, you realize just how far these traditions have sometimes departed from uh, what the Quran teaches, what the Hadith treat, what the Hadith teach. And so the answer to your question, in short, 
is that Muslims in the 20th century have been trying to get back to the core of their faith. What we are seeing is a Muslim reformation, uh, and they're trying to live out the Quran and the Hadith. That was the specific founding principle of the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, so when they when they do that, um, they read the Hadith, they read the Quran, they see that it's violent. That leads the average Muslim, at first they'll deny it, like I did. After 9-11, I started reading these things, and I said, no, this can't be true, it can't be true. But after three years of reading them over and over again, I said, wow, Islam really is violent at its core. That leads you to a three-pronged fork in the road. One of those prongs is uh, you can become apathetic. You can just say, I, I don't want to believe any of this stuff anymore. Prong number two is you can become an apostate. You can say, wow, this is what Islam teaches, and I can't believe this anymore. I'm going to believe something else, and that's what I did. Or prong number three is you can say, this is my religion, this is what it teaches, I have to follow, and you can become radicalized. And that's what we're seeing. Decreased numbers of nominal Muslims around the world, increased numbers of apostates, nominal Muslims, and radicalized Muslims because they're encountering the truth of Islam. Now, so let me, and I want, I want you to correct me if I'm wrong, would you say that, you know, if you really truly took all of the all of the teachings, all of the readings, embraced them, and followed them the way that they are laid out at the core of it, you would you would probably end up in that third group. Right. If you consistently applied and continued to believe uh, that the teachings of the Quran and the Hadith are what you should follow, and you study them carefully, and you see how the Quran was laid out. Um, chronologically, because there is a progression of the Quran. It's not like a book of the Bible that was written and published. The Quran had portions added to it over 23 years, portions taken out of it over 23 years. Uh, when you see, when you figure all that stuff out, you look at the final way the Quran was given to Muslims, then yes, historically consistent uh, a practice of all this would end up making you uh, violent. Well, listen, this has been great. I really appreciate you taking the time. I have to have you back on again. I have to make you... Uh come back and make you commit to doing that because this has been really interesting and uh, there's a lot more to talk about, of course, but I, I think uh, this is a great start, so I appreciate your time. Thanks, Billy. I appreciate it. Church Bowl.